On this episode of Go Check Yourself, we're talking Chuck Season 5, Episode 11, Chuck versus the Bullet Train. That's right. We're headed all the way to the far east, to the land of the rising sun, Japan. Why, you might ask? Well, it's never really explained, but it's in Japan for some reason. to crazy town hello my name is chris gillespie my name is aaron arada i didn't i didn't realize we were going to crazy town i, I that we we clearly have passed my stop this is the crazy train headed all the way to crazy town things are gonna get weird and wild this week we're talking about chuck versus the bullet train here on go chuck yourself this is kind of a an unorthodox introduction but then again i guess this episode has uh a weird, unorthodox credit <laughs> intro credits. That's true, yes. Very weird, uh, very kind of out of nowhere. I'm not really sure what value that was adding to the episode or why they did that. Like, was it an homage to something? It must have been. I didn't see anything online. I have to assume that it was, but I could not uh, find <laughs> out what it was. Um, so I guess if you know, you know. If you don't know, you don't know, because I don't know. Congrats, yes. If you know, maybe that was a treat for you. It seemed like it was just kind of you know, the show's almost over. Over This is the third to last episode of Chuck. So it kind of seems like everyone involved with the production of it is kind of just winging it and figuring it out as they go along at this point. Uh, I have to say, like, I was pretty disappointed that there was no cake in this episode. Yeah, it was a bummer. Yeah, I'd, like, I would have been fine with, like, the change to the credits, but, like, at least put cake or, like, a, a cool train version of cake. Do you think they didn't do cake because they thought that this episode like they wanted it to be more intense and like cutting to um short skirt long jacket would have set the wrong tone for the episode i guess i guess that's fair but then it just kind of sounded like it was like the normal background music so there wasn't really like usually i get amped for the credit sequence and i really mm. wasn't this time yeah it's true i for whatever re- reason well not i know what reason but like i associate uh bullet trains with you and i don't know if this makes sense or not but i have at some point you and i saw the movie the wolverine in theaters starring (laughs) the wolverine himself hugh jackman which like this episode takes place in japan and he's he there's a fight like on a bullet train right or a subway i thought it was a bullet i think it's a bullet train I I guess I do technically remember that you and I saw that film together. But, Thank you. That's um, the nicest thing you've you, ever said to me. <laughs> if you ask me anything that happened in that movie, and I will be clear that I did rewatch the first half hour last year, I still do not remember anything. Um, I believe you that there's a bullet train. Something uh, else that has a train is Chuck versus the Honeymooners. Mm-hmm. Um, this is actually Chuck's second train. They've never had. Have they ever been on a subway? Was there like a subway fight at any point? Well, they. they were, oh, Shaw was on the subway. Yeah. I don't think they fought on the subway, but like Chuck has a rich history with trains. It's oh, a... They're always fighting at the train yard. They're at the train <laughs> station. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, this is Chuck. Really is a. Uh, locomotive forward television program. If you're it is. nuts about railroads and locomotives, model trains, Chuck is the program for you. 
And it's actually funny that you use the phrase nuts about railroads because this is the second time in Chuck that we have watched two characters have sex on a train. <laughs> they do. Chuck and Sarah, ever since Chuck versus the Honeymooners, they have like a fetish for trains. They're like, I think I think they do. It's like Ellie and Devin really want a fucking castle. Uh-huh. Chuck and Sarah really want to... I don't know what, like, the train equivalent of the Mile High Club is. But... Well, they're taking the train to Pontoon again. That Yes, they are. I hate that joke so much. I was reminded of it recently, or I thought of it, and I was like, I can't believe that was something that they put in the show, and I can't believe that subsequently that was something that we had to cover as a result of them putting it in the show. We did have to cover it. Not that this is a highbrow program by any means. I not like we were like, oh, we had to. But like that was pretty pretty low brow yeah. for like even French Chuck. <laughs> Which is saying something uh, when you think about uh, whatever episode it was that they did the big BM and whatever the <laughs> other part of that was. Yeah, uh, yeah, but not a lot of. Not a ton of humor, antics, or silliness in this particular episode. No, this is an all-serious episode. Right. So it is a train to crazy town, but I guess it's also making stops at Siriusville. And scary. Scary town. Halloween town. Well, not really Halloween town, because that's something else, but... Right. Serious city would have been better, I guess. That would have been a little more literative. I like that. I do like Serious City. Mm. Sounds like something in, like, Final Fantasy. (laughs) um yeah so i guess let's we're we're all business here we're serious let's just jump right into it because we have a lot we're boarding the train unpack we are boarding the train we We have our tickets ready an hour and a half until we're at the next stop so we gotta get going that's right we gotta get comfortable and uh not as comfortable as chuck and sarah mind you no i don't think anyone's as comfortable as chuck and sarah on a train Okay, so you may remember from last week that Sarah has downloaded the faulty intersect program that Morgan had, and we know that because she puts on the glasses, then she flashes, she fights a bunch of guys, and she kicks the camera, which is kind of like her kicking me directly in the face. Yeah. And that was pretty exciting to see in the recap. I like getting kicked in the face. I had to yell at her, though, because I was like, hey, you kicked my friend Aaron in the face, even though we watched... (laughs) The same episode in different places. I knew yeah. that she was kicking you. She was kicking me. It wasn't yeah. you. But you. It wasn't glad- anybody else watching the show. It was me specifically. <laughs> Thank you for taking that kick for me and for all of us. Thank <laughs> yeah, you for sacrificing yourself. That's okay. That's I'm kind of like the modern day Jesus for that reason. <laughs> you heard it here first, everyone. <laughs> Aaron well, says that she. Aaron, Aaron, much like John Lennon before her, is saying that she is bigger than Jesus. <laughs> bigger than jesus i said i was the modern day jesus he's <laughs> okay. not here <laughs> well the way things are going it seems like he's gonna be showing up pretty soon so yeah um okay so this episode itself as discussed takes place in japan the episode uh starts in tokyo um quinn is there and he has chuck in a uh chokehold there in a train station taking a bullet train. Quinn won't tell Chuck where they're heading, but wherever it is, he's going to force Chuck to fix the faulty intersect. Quinn explains to Chuck that Sarah and Casey fell prey to his fake hostage negotiation back in LA, and they're dead now. But we cut to two coffins on the train. They do, in fact, have Casey and Sarah's names on them. Oh, no. But then they open. Oh, yes. Casey and Sarah pop out wearing oxygen masks, which... 
later uh, someone else is in the coffin and isn't wearing an oxygen mask, so I'm not really sure what's going on there, but it is a cool image. It's also cool that they are alive and they're on the train with Chuck and Quinn. Sarah explains some business about the intersect and how they got to the train. I didn't really write any of it down, but the point is she has the intersect now and she's been flashing a lot in order to uh, get them to a place where they can rescue Chuck. Casey is a little nervous about the side effects of the faulty intersect, but Sarah brushes it off. She's planning to get it suppressed soon, so it doesn't really matter. There's a little bit of banter where Casey asks Sarah to recall her name and rank and serial number, and she brushes that off, but then she calls him Frank, then she admits that she's joking. It's kind of cute, kind of fun, but also a little bit sinister and serious, as we mentioned. Speaking of serious... Meanwhile, back in California, Ellie, Devin, and Alex are doing some brain tests on Morgan. Good luck finding something in there, guys. Ayo. Get it? Because Morgan's dumb. <laughs> That's a joke that this episode leans heavily into. <laughs> also, something that the show really won't let go of is Alex bringing up that Morgan broke up with her via text, which was admittedly like something that was like, in the cultural consciousness at this time, like everybody was kind of talking about text message breakups. I think there was like a, a YouTube song about it that I kind of vaguely remember. Um, <laughs> I see from your face that you do not remember, but trust me, it happened. Um, she just kind of brings this up once an episode. I don't know if it's like they want us. I, I don't know what the purpose of her bringing it up repeatedly is that like, they want to emphasize that Morgan was really an asshole and that's like the biggest dick move they can think of. Mm. Or if it's just like they want to emphasize that Alex was really hurt by it. I don't really know. But pretty much since it happened, Alex has been bringing it up constantly. But at least we don't have to hear about the rainbows and the herd with that guy again. Back in Japan, Chuck breaks out of the handcuffs that he's been uh, handcuffed in and tries to escape out of the bullet train window. Um, the train is stopped at this time. He's not just trying to like jump out of a train going 200 miles an hour. Um, but before he can do anything, guards uh, stop him. They're about to tie him up again when Sarah drops down out of a train air duct, which actually I kind of wish we saw the, uh, the air ducts on the bullet train. We don't. She just comes out of a vent and she does some intersect fighting, which is sort of a fight and also sort of a lap dance. It seems like she would be able to fight better if she wasn't like sitting in Chuck's chair with him, uh, but she is. Are you saying that the, the this show like overly sexualized Sarah for almost no reason? <laughs> I am saying that, yes. I know it's uh I know we haven't never discussed it before. It's new information. Chris has taken off his headphones. He seems to be having a moment of reflection. Just staring at a wall. We've done over a hundred episodes of the show. I just this is I I got I'm just going to take my you can keep going with the episode but I just need a All right. moment. To, yeah, you got to you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. This is something that I've been kind of thinking about in my head it's been percolating but this is brand new information for you. So you got to take your time to really understand what it means for you. As Chris is thinking about this, I'm going to keep going. Sarah and Chuck meet up with Casey in the what appears to be the train's cargo hold which is where uh, the coffins are. Um they manage to corner Quinn and force him into a coffin. While they're doing that, Sarah offhandedly mentions um, that she got some information by flashing and Chuck clocks this. Sarah is unaware that Chuck has clocked this and is talking about how they can't jump off the train because it's going too fast. But then Chuck interrupts by asking her what's going on, why she's talking about flashing. And Sarah admits that she does have the intersect. Oh, no. 
And my notes here just simply say weird credits. If you want to know more about them, honestly, just watch the episode. It's kind of like, how would you describe it? It's like everybody's names and like superhero font coming up like as a train speeds by kind of. Yeah, like the the camera is the 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 front of a train like it's going uh, down tracks mm-hmm. and we yeah. are our perspective is going hurl, hurtling down these train tracks and all the names flash up like one by one yeah. over down the tracks yeah. in the order that they appear in the actual like credit the normal credit sequence yeah it's pretty pretty weird um but you know it's it's something new you have an episode in japan you have some new stuff So after the credits end, we um, go back to Casey and Sarah trying to figure out what to do. Chuck can't let go of the fact that Sarah has the same intersect as Morgan because uh, she's probably in imminent danger of either losing her memories, going insane, or even potentially dying. While Casey and Sarah are trying to solve the problem at hand, Chuck is just very worried about his wife. Back in Burbank... Morgan is also feeling worried and is also feeling useless, particularly because he's not in Japan helping his team. Working on her computer, Ellie says that there's no evident long-term effects of Morgan's time with the Intersect, but she also can't really figure out what caused his memory loss or why it happened specifically after a month. It occurs to her in interviewing Morgan that maybe there's a correlation between number of flashes and the memory deterioration. As we mentioned, Morgan is pretty dumb, so after all that science talk, he decides that he needs some brain fuel. Particularly, he needs combos, so he sends Alex up to the Bywar to get combos. I don't think this episode is sponsored by combos. I think it is just something that they're using as a plot device. Not really sure. So back on the bullet train, Sarah explains what happened, how she ended up with the intersect, and how she basically had no choice in order to get herself out of the situation she had to put on the glasses. But she promises Chuck that the intersect will be gone within an hour and a half, because I guess they're going to get off the train and Beckman's going to meet them and have suppressor glasses there. I don't exactly know what the rationale is, but in an hour and a half, the intersect will be gone. They have a moment of reflective silence, and then the episode breaks its serious streak for just a moment as Sarah and Chuck bond over how incredible it is having the intersect. Chuck asks if Sarah is ready to say goodbye to it, and she says that she is ready, and she, in fact, she's ready to retire and start a family. Chuck suggests that they just, uh, they're on a bullet train speeding along. Why don't they speed along in uh, starting their family? Basically, he suggests they fuck. And Sarah takes off the tactical gear that she was wearing and is wearing lingerie underneath. Um, it's not really like, like, she's not wearing like a bra and underwear in, in the way that you would. I feel like if you're going on a mission, like a sports bra would probably be most convenient. But she's wearing like, Chris, you're, uh, you're on your own lingerie journey. Um, how did you feel about this lingerie? <laughs> Well, I don't love the phrasing of that. Um, it just kind of looked like she was wearing like a one piece bathing suit underneath her clothes. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, it was kind of like a tankini, but it was it was like red and lacy. I don't I don't know. I, it just doesn't seem convenient to wear on on a mission. It's like. Are you saying that. The show is. Over sexualizing Sarah. Again. I, I mean, I I wasn't, I, I that's not what I wrote in my notes, but yeah, I think uh, now that you're saying that, that's, I think that's what's happening. You're implying that there's a gratuitous use of showing off the uh, Sarah, Yvonne's 
body more so than other characters, specifically because she's a woman. I I think that is what I'm saying. Oh, Jesus. This is like we we joked that this was going to be a serious episode, but it's becoming rapidly very serious for you. I like you spend so much time with the show and then, you know, these things just happen out of the blue and you're like, I just wasn't expecting it. You know, I mean, we talked about this being the bodiest season of Chuck ever. Um, and like, so it's it's just a surprise. I mean, it's I guess it's not a surprise, but just like that it would descend upon Sarah in that way, that it would start affecting like one of our favorite characters in a way that it never has before. I know. I just I mean, like I, I this is kind of like an overshare, but like I, you know, each week, I, you know, after we record our episodes, I take my DVDs of Chuck and I go to. A uh, all girls orphanage that's nearby, and I play whatever episode we watch that week for all of the girls of the orphanage. That's really admirable because I you. think it's like uh, you know this empowering kind of female forward story. Yeah, for the them. sexy Sarah showdowns. Oh my god! Oh no, those are oh shit! Oh damn it! Oh no! Uh, I think I just poisoned a generation of girls. I think you did. Oh man, you're getting like this is how uh, like the the Black Widow organization got started. This is bit, yeah, exactly like that. Ah, oh, fuck. This isn't good. Something else that isn't great um, is that in the Bymore, Big Mike encounters uh, the flu bus, where there's sure, um, okay. two two people, a man and a woman, offering free flu shots to customers of the Bymore. Awesome, great, yep. Um, Big Mike, though, not really into it. He says he does not believe in vaccinations. Literally uses those words. This was something, didn't they, this came up recently. Yeah, this did come up before. This came up um, when uh, he was, well, it, it, this was, he was talking about a different kind of virus, the Omen virus he referred to as a hoax. So that was right. when he said he was a, a um, Omen truther. But in fact, it extends, and he does not believe in any government-mandated uh, health things. So we know where Big Mike would stand on the uh, COVID vaccine debate. <laughs> I appreciate it. it's a very weird, like it doesn't contribute anything to the story at no. all. But I appreciate that the writers made Big Mike very consistent in his like political and or philosophical beliefs. That's true. Yeah, they That's, chose. He's they made it not consistent. They made a choice, and they were just like, "This is this guy, and we're sticking to it." Yep. And maybe in ten years, this will be super relevant. He's he's wears his pedometer. He eats off Subway's healthy menu, but no vaccines for that man. Absolutely not. <laughs> or for any of his loved ones or children, probably. Too bad, Morgan. You want that flu vaccine? Too bad. Nope, Your too stepdad bad. says you can't get it. <laughs> I don't think that's how it works, but maybe. Across the way, Lester is trying to explode an avocado in one of the store display model microwaves, which are mm. apparently plugged in and usable by just anyone in the Bible. Big Mike expresses to Lester that maybe it's time that he, Lester, grow up like Jeff did. Big Mike walks off and Jeff comes over to express his feelings on the topic, specifically how he thinks that he still kind of remembers something going on in Vail, Vail, Colorado, of course, Chuck's favorite uh, other location. Um, and they uh, and Jeff still thinks that there's something going on, even if he and Lester don't really remember what it is. They uh, kind of discuss trying to do a little bit more of detective work. 
Meanwhile, Alex is across the store heading up to Bybor's food department. Of course, we know they have that because they have the cheese puffs or cheese balls, whatever they were called. And she's buying some pizza-flavored combos. As she's trying to do that, the flu bus employees pull a gun on Alex and kidnap her, dragging her out of the store. Jeff and Lester have uh, clocked this. They're watching from behind a, uh, an end cap as this happens. Back on the train, Casey is guarding Quinn's uh, coffin that he's in, again, without an oxygen mask, which is seemingly not a problem because Quinn taps on the lid of the coffin and calls out to Casey. Casey is reluctant to listen to him at first until Quinn admits to Casey that his people have captured Alex. This gets Casey's attention, and Quinn tells Casey that Casey will now be working for him if he wants his daughter to survive. Serious. So I'm not, you know, I think Quinn is a bad guy, but do you think it was kind of odd that the characters like Team Bartowski was seemingly comfortable with letting him suffocate inside the coffin? Yeah, I mean, that was pretty weird. I, I wasn't like, because I wasn't clear because he's clearly not suffocating in there. Like right. maybe over time he would suffocate. Maybe maybe they only had the oxygen masks because they were presumably like on a plane in the coffin. Mm hmm. Or maybe they weren't. Maybe they just got into them. I don't really know what's going on with the coffin. But yes, I was weirded out that they didn't give him one if they didn't want him to die. I was like, that seems like a really kind of cruel and gruesome death for even yeah. a villain on Chuck to be like, yeah. oh, you're trapped in this box. You're going to suffocate on your yep. own, you know. So, yeah, that was odd to me. But I guess that was just one of the many things in this episode that I thought was odd. Something that I did not think was odd. In fact, something that I recognized immediately and I could tell what was going on. <laughs> Chuck and Sarah just had sex. Oh, good. Okay. This is character development for you. How? Tell, make it clear. How could you tell that they just had sex? They were in their underwear and okay. they were in a bed sitting yep. next to each other. They weren't smoking a cigarette, but they were, were no. they drawing? That, that, you know, that's something you could do after sex. There's many <laughs> activities you can complete after sex and drawing is just one of them. So... Sarah and Chuck may have just conceived human life. We're not really sure. Um, but there I was. I identified this as sex, but I was a little confused because their hair still looks perfect and they're both still wearing a lot of clothes. That's OK, maybe. But, <laughs> you know, I guess I'm improving. So what's happening? Their postcoital activity of choice is doodling. Yeah, in a, doodling in a Jap pictures in of a, themselves in a Japanese magazine. And apparently Chuck is pretty good at drawing since he draws a nice little illustration of the two of them standing outside a house with a baby, which once again, he might have just inseminated Sarah with inseminated. <laughs> oh. Yeah, my uh, my note here is Chuck is an incredible artist. How has right. this never come up before? <laughs> right. It was like, like really I thought like it would make more sense if like Sarah flashed to draw this picture because that's how good it is. Yeah, he's just casually like with a Sharpie marker in this travel magazine just drawing and we're like, this is not something that I've ever seen. They're just like, hey, this is the third to last episode of Chuck. Here's a character development curveball. Chuck was really good at art this whole time. It's kind of like we're like, oh, but Chuck's like, I've always wanted to see the Eiffel Tower. You're like, what? the? Yeah, exactly. What the hell? Chuck? There's something about being on this international travel that really opens Chuck up to the world. I to think express that's himself, true. Yeah. Which is nice. I imagine that's probably true for a lot of people. So uh, they're doodling, I guess, and they're Chuck and Sarah are really excited about their future together, and it's really nice, and it's also kind of gross because you're like, eh, but uh, they're happy, so that's all that matters. <laughs> Sarah gets a text from Casey saying that he needs a break, 
uh, from watching Quinn. So they rip out their illustration from the magazine and head to the cargo bay. Upon entering the cargo bay, they notice that Quinn's coffin is open and empty. Oh, God, maybe he's a vampire. (laughs) Casey walks around the corner and his gun is drawn. But it's Chuck and Sarah. What's he doing? He explains that Quinn has Alex and he has no choice. Casey apologizes to Chuck and Sarah and tells them to come with him. And then we cut to black. When we return from commercial, we found out that Casey is wearing an earpiece and Quinn is telling him exactly what to say from the dining car of the train. Quinn is abusing this privilege and is making Casey explain in graphic detail how Quinn will kill Alex, which is obviously very difficult for Casey. Quinn then instructs them to evacuate the dining car on his behalf, which Chuck does using the control panel that is only in the cargo bay. Quinn tells them to head out. As they're walking away from Quinn's security cameras, Casey whispers to Chuck, asking him to text Morgan so that they can tell him that he uh, that Alex is in danger. We've been talking a lot this season about how Carmichael Industries is in massive debt. They're not uh, they're not hitting their margins. Mm. They're constantly worried about money. And I have a suggestion for them is uh, cut out whatever international texting plan you're apparently paying for. Because <laughs> there's constant references to texting, downloading. And I'm, I'm sure the bullet train has Wi-Fi access. So maybe that's helping a little bit. But uh, that seems like a huge expense. Like your roaming bill is going to be crazy texting from Japan. Back in Burbank, Morgan receives this text, a very expensive text. He's still in Castle with Devin and Ellie. Morgan's confused why Casey would think that Alex is in danger, but Devin points out that Alex went up to the store to get the pizza combos and hasn't returned yet. Morgan logs into the Buy More security cameras and finds the footage of the fake doctors leading Alex of this out of the store at gunpoint. He says, oh, we have a situation here. Uh, the fake doctors, they don't actually they're not named in the episode, but they are named on IMDb. So the female doctor slash assassin is named Bobby. And the male doctor slash assassin is named Thug, according to IMDb. That's, so, that's my future children, Bobby and Thug. I'm, I'm saving those <laughs> names, adding them to my baby list. So when I refer to Bobby and Thug, that's who I'm referring to. Uh, they've taken Alex back to their flu bus, uh, the mobile medical center that they have. And they're trying to drive away, but the vehicle won't start. Bobby explains to Alex that she and Thug will do whatever Quinn tells them to do. So she may just end up shooting Alex in the bus. Bobby is frustrated that the car won't start and yells at Thug, who says he doesn't know why the engine won't turn on. We cut to outside where we see Lester dumping sugar into the gas tank. He runs away and returns to Jeff, who is hiding behind a nearby car. They decide that they need to figure out their next steps. Jeff suggests that they formulate a plan that utilizes their unique talents. Lester says that he doesn't think that they have any of those. But Jeff points out that Lester is uniquely wasteful and destructive. And this gives Lester an idea. Back in Japan, Chuck and Sarah are trying to formulate a plan of their own as they head towards the dining car where Quinn is. They repeat again for the people sitting in the back row that they do not want to be spies anymore and really want to become homeowners and parents. In case that wasn't clear enough from five minutes ago when they said basically the exact same thing, which was also a repetition of something that they've said multiple times throughout the season already. Casey, we're paying attention. This is what's going on with them. They're ready to be done. Uh, they reassure each other that they can take on Quinn and it will be the last thing they have to do. They save Alex and they'll call it a day, but neither really seems too confident. They enter the dining car and Quinn explains that he wants his stolen intersect backed. Sarah tells him that they will give him the intersect if he releases Alex. Quinn doesn't buy this specifically because Casey already gave him the intersect glasses 
and Queen already checked them out and they're already empty, which he figures means that someone on Team Bartowski already uploaded the intersect. He explains that Bobby and Thug have orders to kill Alex if they don't hear from him within two minutes. And this really elevates the tension. Quinn says that he wants Team Bartowski to steal him a new pristine copy of the intersect from the United States government. And they agree. So Casey begs him to call off the hit on Alex. Quinn takes out his phone and tells Bobby and Thug to kill Alex in 30 minutes. Casey is not super stoked about this, but he says that they'll find a way to get him the intersect within a half hour. As this is happening. Oh, that's that's not how I interpreted that scene. I, I may have interpreted it completely wrong. I What I interpreted is that he was saying, Alex is safe for another 30 minutes. I'll give you a call then to let you know if she's still safe. And Casey decided that 30 minutes was enough time for them to solve the problem, like get rid of Quinn, and um, was going to like break off their deal now. Either one is pretty, still pretty serious. I guess so. I guess it's... Uh... A little muddled and hard to tell what's going on this episode. <laughs> so as this is happening, uh, Chuck sneaks a pair of chopsticks into Sarah's back pocket. Quinn then points his gun at the team, causing Sarah to flash. And she throws the chopsticks into Quinn's arm, making him misfire. He like shoots all around the cabin. She then flashes on close quarters combat and attacks Quinn, quickly overpowering him. Chuck and Casey watch on and try to get Sarah to slow down, but she just keeps flashing. And eventually kicks Quinn out the window of the train. Yeah, you know. He deserves which, it. Which is not ideal because they need him if they're going to save Alex because he's the only one that can call the hit off. Sarah says that she wanted to stop, but she couldn't. And then she starts to experience painful intersect migraines, which cause her to cry out in pain. We cut to another commercial break. But before that, we see what looks like a pair of hands holding onto the side of the train. Interesting. Okay. When we return, Sarah is icing her head and is feeling down about kicking Quinn out of a speeding bullet train. Chuck tries to assure her that between them and Ellie, Devin, and Morgan, they can find a solution to save Alex and fix Sarah. Sarah says that she's feeling worse by the minute and can't control the intersect just as Ellie calls Chuck to tell him that Sarah's flashes are causing her migraines and impeding her motor skills. Ellie needs to know how many times Sarah has flashed, and Sarah reveals that she's flashed 40 times over the past <gasps> two days. 40 times in the past two days. Wow. Not advised. Not advised. Ellie is concerned and says that Sarah needs to get back to Burbank or to General Beckman. If she's going to suppress the intersected time, General Beckman, I think what they're supposed to meet her at the end of the train. That's, that, yeah, that's what I think. She's going to be at the next stop. Again, kind of muddled. Casey's trying to figure out a plan with Morgan, who's staking out the flu bus with Devin. Morgan says that they need to be careful because they don't know what kind of weapons Bobby and Thug have. Casey says that they don't have time and devises a plan in which Devin is the magnet and Morgan starts a firefight. Gonna say it again. Still not super clear what this entails. Does that mean <laughs> Devin? He's gonna like sacrifice Devin and I don't know what's going on. We then cut to uh, or we have like a sequence where we intercut between Morgan and Casey's plan and Chuck, Sarah and Ellie's plan. I'll do my best to convey both of them. Ellie says that she can email the Intersect suppression software to Chuck, racking up those internet, those <laughs> long distance data. internet fees, data. Um, maybe it's Wi-Fi to your point, so maybe it's it's okay. But uh, Chuck says that he would need to build his own Intersect glasses in order to deliver it to Sarah's brain, rather than just get the glasses that they already had of like the Intersect. Damn. Yeah, I mean that's a good point. Maybe maybe they only have one one charge in them. Yeah, or maybe they were in like uh, what's his face's pocket, Quinn's pocket yeah. when he mm -hmm. fell out. He was, uh, uh, he did have them in his, like, a, a bento box kind of item. He was, mm -hmm. they were kind of in there with his sushi. That seems unsanitary, but, uh, you know. 
Sarah suggests that she could flash one more time on like computer science to build the intersect glasses herself, but Chuck won't have it. He says that he could build one easily if he just had a laptop, a PSP, and virtual reality glasses. He's frustrated because that is all the stuff that they have at the buy more, but then he realizes that the passengers on the train might be able to help provide him with all of that proper equipment. Meanwhile, Casey instructs Morgan to get to his Crown Vic, which happens to be in the Buy More parking lot. Thank God. Yeah. It's not Casey's apartment. It's at the Buy More. Morgan and Devin run over to it. And despite having a literal arsenal of weapons in his trunk, Casey's Crown Vic is totally unlocked. Like they just run up to it and open the trunk immediately, revealing assault rifles, grenades, a minigun, a rocket launcher, knives, tactile vests like. Yeah, well, I I mean, I feel like if you were if you were going to rob the Crown Vic and you like opened up the trunk and saw all that stuff, you would probably be like, mm, never mind. Or you'd be like, this is great. And then <laughs> yeah, cause another a, option. Yeah. So Casey tells Morgan to pick up an earpiece, too, that's evidently in there that he can immediately communicate with and all this other equipment and tells him to uh, stay away from the explosives because they'll just blow themselves up. As this is going down, we're treated to a nice scene of Chuck asking the passengers if he could borrow their various electronics to save his dying wife. Just kidding. He doesn't have time (laughs) for that. Chuck, don't give a shit. So he just starts stealing stuff from unsuspecting passengers. And also, we weren't hallucinating before. Quinn is apparently still alive and is crawling around the exterior of the train. Yeah. Specifically, the the, the bottom of the train. The force would hurt you if you were doing that on a bullet train. It would hurt you or it wouldn't hurt you? I think it would. I think you'd be thrown off of the train, right? Yeah, also that. He's very strong. He's got some real grip strength. He's really strong for a fat Nicolas Cage look like. (laughs) Chuck's plan is working so far. Ellie starts to transfer the intersect suppression software to him, but it's going to take a bit since it's a big file. Sarah is wearing a sleep mask to reduce her chances of flashing again. Everything is looking up, but Sarah admits that all this talk of saving Alex is confusing her because she doesn't remember anyone in their circle named Alex. Chuck and Casey are immediately concerned, and Chuck decides to test Sarah's memory by showing her their magazine doodle of their dream future and asking if she remembers that, which is pretty trippy if you think about it, because he's asking her to remember something that hasn't happened yet. Be like, hey. (laughs) I mean, that's a good point, yeah. Remember our goal? Remember our goals? Whoa, man. (laughs) Yeah, I have memories of our goals. Uh, Or maybe... Maybe he's just asking if she remembers their sex from earlier. And this is like a classier way to do it. Like the doodle. So <laughs> being like, hey. Hey, remember uh, when we uh, fucked on this train? <laughs> was it? How was it? Like, was it good for you? Or was it? Was oh, it? God. Stop. Because <laughs> if Sarah's like, I don't remember that at all. Like, oh. <laughs> uh, phew, tough crowd. Either way, Sarah says that she never forgets something like that. So I guess Chuck is, you know. <laughs> doing okay down there and uh chuck assures her that she's going to be okay you would think casey would take this moment to say oh by the way alex is my daughter but instead he just repeats that sarah is going to be okay and does not explain who alex is just then casey gets a call from morgan who's walking through the bymore parking lot wearing a bulletproof vest and carrying an enormous sniper rifle and i'm assuming nobody in the parking lot bats an eye at this because this is america <laughs> Yeah, this is America, and the uh, the spy store is right there. He probably just got the stuff there. Morgan asks Casey for next steps, and Casey tells him to find cover 20 meters away from the flu bus and tells him to get ready to fire at Bobby and Thug when Devin lures them out. Still not sure how Devin's going to do that. Morgan starts psyching himself up, 
to fire this massive sniper rifle to save his girlfriend's life. When Thug appears behind him and Devin, Thug has a pistol and tells Devin and Morgan to drop their guns. And as he takes them away, Morgan's earpiece falls out of his ear. Casey's struggling to figure out what's going on when somebody else finds the earpiece. It's one Lester Patel. <gasps> Casey is flabbergasted that Lester and Jeff are now involved in this and that they might be his only hope. Back on the train, the file transfer is taking a really long time. It's only at 25%. Casey tells Chuck that Morgan was taken and that Jeff and Lester are his only option. He's like kind of complaining to Chuck, but also like kind of asking for help or like getting his input. Chuck is surprised to hear this, but he says that although they might be dumb, Jeff and Lester are very loyal and Casey can trust them. Casey takes a deep breath and then calls Lester back. He explains that his real identity is Colonel John Casey of the NSA and that he needs their help saving his daughter. Lester is expectedly confused and silly during this exchange and Casey struggles to keep his cool. He asks for their help and says that he will make them heroes if they do what he says. He directs them to his Crown Vic, which is still totally unlocked and open to the general public and tells them to take, quote, the big stuff. More like Crown Vic Sahe, am I right? Oh, that's a good that's a good joke. Oh, thank you. I like that one. Thanks for sharing that one. So we're up to 40 percent on the file transfer. Sarah seems to be hanging in there and is all calm. That is until old St. Nicholas Quinn himself climbs up out of that chimney. And by the chimney, I mean the utility hatch that's in the floor <laughs> of the passenger car. All the passengers are bewildered to see him because it's nowhere near Christmas. Uh, I'm assuming that's why they're confused, not because this man survived being kicked out of a window of a bullet train. Quinn bows to them, as is the custom in Japan, uh, and then heads off, I'm assuming, to find Chuck and Sarah and to ruin their lives. After the commercial break, we are treated to a scene of Bobby and Thug tying up Alex, Devin, and Morgan. Uh, Bobby, the woman, seems to hate Alex for some reason and decides that she's going to kill Alex first. She's very adamant about this and seems to have beef with Alex that is not based on anything I saw in the episode. I feel like this actress got the script and I was like, I have this really big part in this network show. I'm going to like create a backstory for my character. Yeah. And she's reading it and she's like, what if she has like, what if she and Alex went to the same high school? Mm. And they, like she was always jealous of Alex and now yeah. it's her chance to, and the director's just like, what the fuck? There's none of this. <laughs> you don't need to think about it. You just got to be scary and mean and that's it. Well, she is scary and mean. So guess she nailed it. Jeff and Lester hack the, I guess, intercom of the flu bus um, and make vague threats, prompting Thug to head outside to see what's going on. Lester comes out with a bunch of, like, bulletproof vest guns and weapons and stuff while O Canada is playing, which is kind of cute because, um, of course, Lester mm -hmm. is Canadian. Um, he tells Thug that they are outgunned, outmanned, and outside. Another cute line. Um, he pulls out a cigar, which he is smoking, and then he has either... I, you seem to know more about uh, guns than I do based on the fact that you um, described what was in the Crown Vic. So I wrote that Lester has a bazooka, but was it in fact the grenade launcher? Uh, it could have been the grenade launcher. I thought it was the minigun, which I'm assuming is a real thing. Well, it's, uh, yeah, minigun, that's a real thing. I think it was a minigun. Okay. That's like the really big Gatling gun, like the six barrel rotary. Well, machine I don't know gun. why it's called a minigun then. I would I would be picturing something completely different. Well, you can imagine my confusion when I'm thinking like, is this a minigun? Because it looks like a pretty big gun to me. <laughs> There's nothing mini about this gun. Nothing mini about it at all. 
This is a big gun. <laughs> All right. So, um, Thug is not really. That's that a big fucking gun. <laughs> Look at this gun. Look at the size of this thing. You can grab it with two hands. That's a big gun. Ain't nothing mini about it. When I said that this episode was going to be an hour and a half, I was kidding, but we're rapidly approaching that because of this. <laughs> so, Thog is not really that intimidated by Lester, despite all of the weapons and his large mini gun. But then he turns around to see that Jeff is standing behind him with a flamethrower. Thug immediately puts his gun down as uh, Jeff just shoots flames around. He doesn't shoot them at Thug. Thug does not catch on fire, to be clear. But Jeff is just kind of looking very unhinged, very crazy. And so Jeff and Lester have won. They tie up the bad guys, Bobby and Thug, and allow Morgan, Devin, and Alex to go free. Morgan thanks Jeff and Lester and asks how he could ever repay them. Jeff simply says honesty. So Morgan agrees to take them down into castle and show them what's been going on underneath their noses all these years. Alex calls Casey to tell him that she's okay. I guess she is also uh, paying huge international bills by making that call. She says that Devin and Morgan were very helpful, but it was Jeff and Lester who were the real heroes. Back in Japan, the suppressor is almost downloaded to Chuck's stolen computer, but suddenly the Wi-Fi goes down. Chuck says he knows how to fix that, having been a nerd herd employee for so long, so he heads out into the train proper. Based on her prep flash, Sarah tells him exactly where it's located. It seems to be in the exact car that uh, Nick popped back up in, which I'm sure will not be a problem. When Chuck gets to the right car, he doesn't even look over his shoulder to see if the car's occupied, if anybody's going to stop him. He just opens up a control panel and sees that the Wi-Fi has been tampered with. Oh no! A train conductor comes and tries to stop him, and Chuck says that he's with the Burbank Bymore, which I'm not clear on is if the writers intended that as a joke, or if Chuck actually thinks that the Burbank Bymore has so much street cred that um, people in Japan who do not even speak his language will know what that means. <laughs> um, but based on what happened in Chuck versus the Hackoff, it does seem like Chuck thinks people care way more about the Bymore than they do. Before we find out if uh, this bid was successful or not, Quinn grabs Chuck by the neck and the train conductor runs away and Quinn and Chuck begin to fight. Back in their own car, Sarah and Casey are nervous about what's taking Chuck so long. Sarah tells Casey to check on Chuck or she will, and of course, Casey heads right out because he doesn't want Sarah to be in danger of flashing again. Back out in their car, Quinn and Chuck are beating the shit out of each other while all the other passengers exclaim in terror. Right as Quinn is about to brain Chuck with a Dell computer, it's a Dell. It's clearly Adele. We see the Dell logo. It's very prominently Adele. Just wanted to make that clear. Do you think that Dell, you know, they the people at Dell um, like paid for that kind of product placement of being like, hey, can you advertise our computer as like if you need very something durable, to, very durable, like if you need to beat the shit out of someone with a computer, like they should reach for Adele. I have, um, um, well, I guess I have an HP now, but I do have my old Dell right here. And I have I could a Dell right here, too. I could do some damage with it. I could definitely do some, I don't, mm, I think it would hurt someone. I don't know if it would kill someone. I feel like it would fall apart before then, but, like, mm. it's pretty, it's pretty sturdy. This episode is brought to you by Dell and Combos. <laughs> so, yeah, Quinn is about to kill Chuck, but Casey comes in with his gun drawn. 
Quinn appears to be about to back down, but then he grabs the conductor as a hostage. He explains that until the intercept is his, he's never going to stop. He runs, and Chuck and Casey run after him, but Quinn runs right past the car that Sarah is still waiting in, and she can't stop herself from heading out and going after him. She manages to corner him back in the baggage hold, but then Quinn locks the door, locking Sarah in with him and Chuck and Casey on the outside. Chuck yells to Sarah through the door not to flash, and she promises him she'll try. She tells Quinn that it's over, but then he shoots her with a train gun. She passes out, and Quinn uses his access on the train to separate the train cars. And it's so sad watching Chuck and Sarah look at each other, knowing that there's nothing they can do, that I can almost ignore how bad the CG of the train pulling away is. Later in some sort of warehouse, Quinn explains that he's going to suppress Sarah's intersect, but first he's going to use flashcards, which is a pretty good pun, to make her flash until she forgets who she is and that she's not actually working for him. Then he uh, he does that. He's got some cards. They make her flash. She screams a lot. Um, we see, presumably, we see some memories in her head, and presumably that's, like, as they're being lost. And one of the memories I noticed was her and Chuck carving their names into the house, which, honestly, yes, I would like to forget that, too. While this is going on, Sarah is obviously in a huge amount of pain and is very upset by what's happening, but she manages to pull out an emergency locator beacon that I guess she keeps on her at all times and activate that. Back in Castle, Chuck is trying to figure out Quinn's next target and where in the CIA facilities he thinks there is a pristine copy of the Intersect available to him. Casey rushes in to say that Sarah set off her emergency beacon, so they head out to rescue her. When they get there, they find a note from Quinn that says, Nice try, and he and Sarah are gone. Chuck is pretty despondent about this, understandably. Later, Sarah wakes up in her first apartment slash hotel room. What? crazy. She doesn't seem to know where she is or what she's doing there, but before she can really put a lot of thought into it, there's a knock on the door. She goes to answer it, gun drawn, and Quinn comes in, posing as her CIA handler. He tells her that she has a concussion and potentially amnesia. She insists that she's fit for duty and asks for her assignment, and he tells her her orders are to kill Chuck Bartowski. (gasps) (gasps) But that's her husband. But she doesn't know that. That's a real pickle. Thus begins the uh, ending plot line that I feel is very divisive in the Chuck community. So we're really getting into it. I'm sure we're going to talk about it a little more as yeah. we get towards oh, the yeah. end. But mm-hmm. this is this is the big one, people. This is Chuck versus the pickle. Oh, no, no, no. That's that's not what it's called. No. I think we wouldn't have spent 45 minutes discussing how to start this episode if it was called Chuck versus the pickle. It would have been a little bit easier. Well, <laughs> something that's always easy is Chuck Mary Kill. It's like a, a a smooth. It's like slipping into a nice uh, pair of pants. I guess that was a horrible analogy for Chuck Mary. Yeah, Kill. I mean sometimes slipping into a pair of pants is very stressful. I would say, but like a comfortable pair of pants, like your yeah, sweatpants yeah, okay. or like, your pajama uh, yeah. pants. Yeah, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. And you get you have a nice like smooth beverage. I don't know what would smooth beverage would be. Like eggnog, eggnogs. <laughs> yep, you got it's eggnog smooth. and you got your joggers or your sweatpants on. <laughs> Sounds like a good time. That might actually be what I'm doing after we finish this episode. So let's get into it. Aaron, what would you like to marry? So, once again, and believe me, I hate saying this as much as our audience might hate hearing it. Um, my marry again is going to be a Jeff and Lester moment. Particularly, I really liked Lester's use of the phrase, Shug the tank. 
Um, that's not something that I'm familiar with. Maybe it's something that uh, was more prominent in the the 80s, 90s, as many things referenced on Chuck seem to be. But maybe my favorite Lester moment of the episode was when he's talking to Casey on the phone and Casey insists that Lester's country needs him. And Lester very, um, very earnestly says, Canada? And I, I really laughed at that. That was like, the, as we discussed, this was a mm. serious episode. Not a ton of jokes, but that was a really good joke. And I liked it. I also thought it was funny that Lester, when Casey introduces himself as Colonel John Casey, Lester's like, oh, we have a John Casey that works at the Bymore. And Casey's yeah. like, I am that John Casey. <laughs> it's a surprise that he doesn't uh, recognize his coworker's voice. But, mm -hmm. you know, phone connections from Japan. It's interesting that it's the same-ish time of day in Japan that it is in L.A., you know, I that thought crossed my mind, but I was like, you know what? After I went on to that whole thing, like when they were in Hungary or whatever, I was like, I don't I'm not even going to devote mental energy to figuring out. That's time fine. Zones yeah, check, I agree. I'm assuming it's wrong, but I don't want to. Uh, I'm not positive. I'm not going to think about it. What is your Mary? Incidentally, my Mary is also Jeff and Lester. I don't know if you recall from last week, but I was pretty disappointed that uh, Jeff and Lester didn't learn the truth about, you know, Tim Bartowski and Castle and everything. I thought that they kind of took. The show took the easy way out. I thought that they were going to be able to trust Jeff and Lester, but I uh, I thought it was a nice touch this week that they were able to save the day in a high stakes scenario and that Casey is now indebted to them, um, especially because they were just like two losers that he's resented since day one. So, yeah, that is uh, that is kind of sweet. I maybe did you re remember that this happened and you were like when I was saying this last week, were you like dying on the inside of being like, you're so stupid. I did remember them finding out, but I assumed that was just they find out and then yeah. they go back to not knowing, which mm -hmm. could still happen. I also have a memory of Jeff becoming dumb again, which I really, really hope doesn't happen because I kind of like his character growth. But we'll mm -hmm. see. We've got two episodes. Anything could happen. Sounds like sounds like that might happen, but I guess we'll yeah. find out. Uh, what would you like to kill this week? So we did talk about how um, Big Mike's being an anti-vaxxer is consistent for his character. <laughs> surprisingly um, consistent. Surprisingly consistent. I think looking at this with my 2021 brain, um, I really like I would kill that. Um, I'm not really like I don't think this is something that we need to be like joking about, especially with a character who's kind of like lovable and like kind of like a father figure to Morgan. Like I didn't like seeing the side of him. And since it didn't really add anything to the plot, I would have rather it not be in there. Uh. Maybe if I was watching in 2011 when like vaccines were not such a big uh, topic of discussion, it would be just kind of like a cute character detail, like cute in quotes, because it's uh -huh. never really been cute to not believe in vaccinations. But like it wouldn't be as charged as it is now. But watching it here in 2021, that's definitely my kill. Mm -hmm. What about you? Well, I don't know if it was clear from my recap, but I was not super uh, on board, no pun intended, with uh, Queen surviving falling out of a bullet train. <laughs> I don't want to judge him or his ability based on his appearance. However, there was nothing about him that we've known thus far that would suggest that he would be able to hang on to a moving bullet train. Yeah, I mean, if it was Stone Cold Steve Austin doing it, of course we'd believe sure, it. Sure, I, I would believe that, maybe. But <laughs> apparently bullet trains move 
uh, on average between 100 and 131 miles per hour. Oh, well, actually, this thing that I'm looking at says it's 240 to 320 miles an hour. So. Okay, so even faster. So I I think, generally speaking, trains make for great settings for dramatic stories. If you think about all the kinds of stories that take place on trains. Yeah, like Murder on the Orient Express. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Chuck versus the Honeymooners. Like, they kind of work because they're pressure cookers and they're claustrophobic and no one can really escape from them. So they're this kind of fun environment to set stories in. And I think the writers appreciated that. But I think that they put themselves into a bind with this episode because they because typically in the, the structure of an episode of Chuck, there's a break in the middle or like a lull when the action isn't really happening. And there's time for the characters to regroup or they're refocusing on whatever's mm-hmm. going to go next. Um, and they needed to do that in this episode. But that meant that they need to remove Quinn from the equation, which is difficult because it's a moving train. Yeah. So you can't like you. you I think they could have found another way to neutralize or occupy. Just or, keep like, him in the coffin. Yeah. Paralyze him somehow because like throwing him out of a moving train and then pretending that it's feasible that he survived. That was just ridiculous. Like, yeah, I think it might be one of the most absurd things ever to happen in the show. And the show did not comment on it or like acknowledge yeah. it or like there was no like wink wink there was actually a moment um now that i'm thinking about it when uh sarah and quinn are facing off for the first time when he says like he's trained for this moment or maybe it's when he and chuck are fighting but it's like he's trained he could the only person who could still defeat him is someone with the intersect right like he says something like that which is like not a character detail i had known that mm-hmm. like quinn is like the strongest man alive and the best fighter yeah, but he's got I mean, Dell computers on his side, so. <laughs> he does say that he's like, oh, I've studied the contents of the intersect and no one can. Like, yeah, but that doesn't mean you can know how to grip onto a train. I I don't know. Something else um, that I did want to note here is um, I just came across this while we were recording the episode. Um, the special opening credits in this episode are a reference to the failed NBC show Super Train. From 1979, okay. which I am now watching. And yes, yes, this is in fact uh, exactly what these credits look. Ooh, Super Train, this is kind of jazzy. This is fun. <laughs> I wonder who, okay, let's look up who's in Super Train. Super Tramp, no, that's not what I was looking for. Um, starring Robert Alda, okay, all right. Edward Andrews, okay, Harrison Page. Nita Talbot, Patrick Collins, and some other people. It has a 4.7 out of 10 on IMDb. And it uh, it aired from February 7th, 1979 to May 5th, 1979. Huh. So that's fun. I guess uh, Josh Schwartz and Chris Vidak just loved Super Train. Well, that explains that. That actually gives us a weird amount of closure and resolution for this episode that we... The pilot was two hours. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> <laughs> which uh if we don't stop talking i think our episode will be reaching that so yep there it is i was waiting for that yep uh so moving on we're just plugging we're chugging along we're on the bullet train we're moving so fast we're moving right into the scooters scooter scale station uh where we that's where the corn dogs live is scooter scale station that makes sense they're served there that is corn dogs seem like something that would be easy to eat on a train i think so all right, so I'm going to give this one 2.75 corn dogs. Ooh, okay. Um, I feel this episode is overall pretty forgettable, which is something that I have been saying about a lot of these episodes in the latter half. 
of this season. And I think the fact that the show is about to end just makes that even more prominent in my mind. I think, um, as we mentioned, there was a lot in this episode that wasn't really clear. And despite the fact that it was a more serious episode, which sometimes definitely works for Chuck, um, this one just kind of felt bland. I think that the idea of setting it on a bullet train, like, I feel like maybe a couple years before this, but like definitely around this time, like America had a fascination with bullet trains. It was something that we were talking about. It was on our minds. So I understand why they would like either Josh Schwartz and Chris Fiedak, the writer's room, or like even just like NBC execs in general would be like, why don't you set the show on a bullet train? It's relatively easy to film in this enclosed location. They don't really have any other new sets other than Castle and the Bymore and, of course, the flu bus. But um, Quinn, I like that they're sticking with him as a villain for more than one episode. That's been something that has bugged me about this season. But as you said, like he's not very consistent. He's not very exciting. Um, he's not... I, I mean, I guess if I was sexually attracted to him, maybe I'd like him a little more based on my track record, but um, he's he's just not very engaging. He's just, like, threatening to be threatening. I'm interested to see how it plays out with him pretending to be Sarah's handler, and I think that the stakes of Sarah downloading the Intersect are interesting. They're going to carry us through the rest of the show, so that's where most of my score comes from, and then also the Jeff and Lester moment, but... There was a lot in this episode that just felt like kind of like chaff when it didn't need to. I don't know about like mm-hmm. Morgan asking for combos. I don't know why we wasted time on that. I wish that more time was spent on like having, I don't know, like cool workarounds for how they're going to get uh, Quinn off the board for a little while and like being very clear with what every plan was and how it's working. And um, that didn't really happen. And um I I remember Sarah losing her memory and downloading the Intersect being, like, extremely dramatic. I'm surprised that that was not, like, a multi-episode thing, because mm-hmm. I it seems like at this point she has lost her memory. She no longer has the Intersect. And I remember this being something that was drawn out and was very emotional, and the fact that it's just, like, over this one episode where she doesn't have a ton to do, even though she has the Intersect. She's not doing a lot. Um, she has, like, one good fight scene. It was just kind of kind of bland. This is, episode is about a bullet train going 320 miles an hour, but, you know, it's not a very fast, pithy episode either. No, no, it is not. What uh, is your score, Chris? Well, I would I will give it a two out of five. Wow. So I will say that this was the bullet train episode was one of the few things I remembered about season five from my okay. viewing it upon when it originally aired. I remembered Sarah getting the intersect and I remember mm-hmm. Sarah losing her memory and I remember the bullet train specifically for some reason. And I was trying to think, I'm like, well, that's really weird. Why did I remember that above? Cause it's not like it's a significant thing necessarily. Yeah. Why did I, I was like, Oh, maybe because it was in Japan, but I'm like, Oh, I think it's because this was like, cause you know, when you, you remember things of moments of emotion or whatnot, uh-huh. or things that elicit feelings from you. Uh-huh. And I was like, Oh, I remember this because I was so disappointed in this episode the first time. And I'm disappointed in it again because I think like I I typically write my, you know, my little scooter scale justifications down. But I did not write anything this week because I felt mm. 
in the spirit of this episode that it was best to be just off the top of my head and really not that well thought out. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but I think like the episode, it starts off very weird. There's no reason for them to be in Japan. There's really no reason for them to even be on a bullet train. I feel like to your point, they kind of just were like, I feel like bullet train was a note card that they had on their yeah. board. Like that was kicking around for a few seasons. Yeah. They're like, Oh, we should finally do the bullet train thing. And like, the the them being in Japan didn't really matter. I mean, I guess they do go to Europe a lot, and so maybe it's not that weird that they wanted to do a Japan episode, but mm-hmm. it wasn't like Japan, Japan. It, yeah, you know, it was just so. I thought that was weird. There was a weird amount of exposition at the beginning. Like there yeah. was a lot of stuff that they had to do to set that up to try to justify it, even though they really it didn't really work. And all the stuff like Quinn, I thought was boring and also kind of confusing and. There are all these different moments throughout the episode where I was like, what's going on? Like, overall, I just felt like it was very, like, the third to last episode. I think that they kind of, I don't want to say it's a disservice to all the fans who kept the show alive this long to get Mm. to this moment. But it kind of was like, oh, well, we're going to do all this exposition and it's going to be really bad. And we're going to go to Japan. And also we're going to constantly hit you over the head with the fact that Chuck and Sarah love each other and don't want to be spies anymore. Which I think maybe kind of I was thinking about it and it's sort of like because you know that you get extra frustrated just like because they are so close like what they're told they tell us that they're like yeah this is it we're so close and you get frustrated because you want them to be done so when they're not done it is frustrating but like that's not necessarily like I don't know I feel like that's very not meta but I feel like that's a high concept for yeah. something that Chuck wouldn't normally do but. Yeah, I I don't care for this episode and it makes me I'm like makes me uh, feel not great about the episodes that are to come. If this is how we're we're setting the stage for the last uh, three episodes of Chuck, it feels very rushed and not really that well thought out in my mind. We will learn next week how we feel about these future episodes. But uh, something that we're going to talk about now is what we learned this week. Chris, what did you learn? Lesson of the week. I'm still coming to terms with it, but I guess that I learned that the show kind of over-sexualizes Sarah sometimes. I'm sorry that you had to find out this way, but it's true. I just feel bad for all those those poor orphans that I was trying to encourage with Chuck, and now I think that they're probably going to have body issues. It's a shame. Poor, poor orphans. I learned that um, there's multiple buttons on control panels of a bullet train and one of them is perfect for a little sex cubby and you could just <laughs> you could just have sex in there that's i i didn't know that i i kind of thought of bullet trains like i'm sure there are sleeper cars available but i kind of thought of them more as the passenger cars that they were showing the dining cars mm-hmm. the fact that there's like just little sex cubes in the wall pretty exciting didn't know it i'm excited to uh you know experience a bullet train as as it was intended well unrelated but you said that you were you had plans to go to japan yes yep so does this watching this episode affect your plans does it make you more excited I'm, about your as plans as soon as possible gotta get there <laughs> you think you would ride a bullet train probably right i, I think people do that right it's a normal thing for people tourists to ride do ride a bullet train i think yeah. so yeah i'll ride a bullet train okay I, cool um I I might ride a bullet train from like Tokyo to Osaka, which is what they're doing in oh. this uh, in this episode. Is that what they call it these days? Going from Tokyo to Osaka? I said it's it's Osaka. Come on, Osaka. Chris. Going That's from Tokyo to offensive. Osaka. 
it, like you mean that's a euphemism for sex? Yeah. It's I mean, an hour and a half sounds like a decent amount of time to be having sex for. That's you know. <laughs> unless right. you're yeah, I mean, you could unless your partner is a uh, bullet train themselves and don't need that that much time to get the job I, done. I I felt uncomfortable with what I just said. I felt even more uncomfortable with what you just said. So I think we had uh, better bullet train out of here so that I can get to Japan sooner. Erin is unplugging her laptop. She's unplugging her microphone. She's packing a suitcase, it looks like. She's putting on, like, a fedora, like an old-timey hat and a long trench coat. And is, wow, she's headed out the door. So I guess we'll wrap things up. Until next time, my name is Chris Gillespie reminding you that food is sexy. My name is Erin Arada, letting you know that anything is possible. Oh, wow, she's, like, boarding Bye. the train right now. Okay. The, the train from Los Angeles to Japan. She's she's going on her way. Thanks for listening. As always, a big thanks to the artist Hadakoa and the fine folks at freemusicarchive.org for providing us with our theme song, Warm Up want to drop us a line you can reach us at go check yourself podcast at gmail.com don't forget to like and subscribe to go check yourself on your preferred podcast platform new episodes come out every monday morning and you do not want to miss a new episode thanks again we'll see you next week bye bye